When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is presented by the IDP Crash Course. Stick around. Later in the episode, we'll discuss this brand new resource from the IDP Show. Welcome in to the IDP show. I'm your host, Evan Ronda, contributor for footballguys.com and host of the IDP Game Theory Podcast. And I'm joined once again by the wonderful, the beautiful, the charming Jake Colhagen. Jake, how are you doing today, Um, man? I'm doing good. I wish I had the charisma and spades like you, good sir. Um, I don't know how you have it at such a young age already, but just just keep it rolling. It's, it's working. Uh, yeah, as Evan said, uh, I'm Jake Colhagen, uh, IDP contributor for um, our, my good friends over at Reality Sports Online. Go check them out. My favorite fantasy platform, um, as well as our good friends here at the IDP show, um, uh, putting together start start sit articles as an IDP contributor this last year and. Uh, You'll get to hear a little bit more of me and Evan uh, this coming off season and upcoming season as well. So, you know, I'm so up, unbelievably in. stoked, so unbelievably stoked for what we've got coming. It's going to be so cool. I can say stoked, right? I feel like, is that something I'm too young to say? Jake and I have been talking about, you know, Cap. lingo, the, the, facts. the youth Cap. facts. We're straight bussing, <laughs> trying to figure out what language uh, we're too old or too young to say. I feel like, I feel like that was something that maybe stoked is a little bit more of an older generation kind of thing, kind of like radical, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Dude, I think radical might be pushing past me even right. Like that's, (laughs) I don't know. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles said it all the time. (laughs) There there we go. Now we're way past me. Oh yeah. (laughs) No, you got to talk about, (laughs) (laughs) talk about being gnarly. Um, I, I want to take a moment to, to talk about the, uh, the crash course that you'll be doing before we actually get into the episode today, because it is a, an amazing resource. Uh, I, I haven't actually gotten a chance to share my thoughts on this. This has to be one of the greatest things that that can be done for the ID, the IDP industry as a whole. And I don't mean that to inflate your, your overinflated ego as it is, <laughs> but I think it's important that we, that we give it its fair amount of hype. I'm actually going to throw this up here right now. Um, the IDP crash course, Jake, I'll give you a sec to talk about it, but I think one of the greatest ways that people can learn something new is by experiencing it, asking questions mm-hmm. and having dialogue with somebody who has experience in that area. So why don't you go ahead and, and give a quick breakdown for the listeners, kind of what, what the heck this even is? Absolutely. Well, just thinking about it, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is tubular, right? So that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the kind of level of, of awesomeness that this will exude. No, but but in all seriousness, yeah, this is a uh, this is something I've been you know brainstorming on for several years now. Um, just for some background context, right? 
coming into IDP, I was the kind of guy who was like, man, Darrell Revis is such a great cornerback, right? So he's got to be the best guy in my IDP squad. And then you go after these types of guys and, and you and you really don't understand the the game or the practice behind IDP in fantasy football until you really start to learn it the hard way at times. And I, I was able to power through that because I just have a general love of football and fantasy football. However, not everyone is able to stick that through. And what, what this uh, crash course is hoping to provide then um, is a, is really help understand key IDP concepts and those key measures within there that, that are utilized. Um, so you can walk away from these sessions with a much more explicit idea and understanding of applying what you've learned and then taking it into your leagues and, and making it tangible for, for what you're trying to do, which is obviously bring home that, that IDP title um, and rub it in as many people's faces as you can. So, um, and, and I think that that's what this is really the goal of it is to set out and do is, is bring people into that fold. Um, let them do it in a conversational way as much as possible. Um, you know, it'll be more of a, typing in the, the questions to the chat, but you know, we have a full set of course content that'll walk through positional understandings, um, how to value those things. We bring in some of the, the IDP stalwarts and Kyle Bellafield and Joey the Tooth that are going to give mm -hmm. you just that that wealth of knowledge and experience that they have in some more of those gray area topics, um, starting up on IDP league, um, evaluating rookies, so, I mean, there, there's, there's so much going on that we had to put it into two days. However, the, the things that you're going to take away from it um, really are hopefully foundational things that allow you to be successful in IDP going forward. Jake, you got me ready to run through a brick wall, dude. I'm so excited. <laughs> where it's my Robert Sala coming through here. <laughs> where can the listeners find this? Um, in case they aren't familiar or didn't listen to the previous episodes where you talked about it, how are they able to get in on this? Absolutely. So this is this is a premium benefit of being a, a member for, at the idpshow.com uh, subscription. And so you want to sign up for that. One of the great things about it too, though, is that they realize that, hey, you know, you don't play IDP alone. You play with your friends. So one of the benefits is sign up for their, their, uh, their subscription um, and you get access to this as well as the ability to bring in four friends with you. Um, as well as this being a just a persistent uh, resource, right? So it's going to be recorded. You can circle back to it and be like, hey, I remember they talked about, you know, some sort of alignment thing for defensive backs, not really remembering exactly what it was. Hop back into it and take a listen, figure it out again. So work your way through it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a great resource. Um, we want it to be something that brings you value, not just in the moment, but, you know, over the life of it, over the life of your time in IDP. Um, and yeah, just hope again, the biggest goal is, is to bring people into IDP and have them be excited about playing it because they understand what they're doing. Man, I love that. I think one of the biggest scares for IDP, especially that I think I've experienced is right. You get, you get people that are already in IDP and they're really, really excited to get new people in. So they have new people to beat. And just, you know, it's, it, it can feel like you're being thrown into shark infested waters. And I'm sure that's an analogy that's really common with a lot of fantasy right. football stuff, but, but having friends in the industry, having people that are there and they know what you need to know and, and how to help you be successful. I think it's, it's really cool. It's really selfless in a way because right. Whenever you as a content creator share information with other people, you are inherently decreasing the advantage that you have over other people 
And so, I mean, there oh, yeah. has to be a level of, of, you know, understanding and putting others above yourself again, not to inflate your overinflated ego there, Jay, but <laughs> I think it's a, it's really cool and really admirable that, that you guys are putting this together. So massive kudos to you. Um, I'm ready to hop into this episode. I don't know about you. Let's go ahead and give the listeners a quick taste of what we'll be covering. So we've got 2023 IDP breakouts. Each of us have selected yes, five, sir. thankfully different, different players. So we don't have any overlap there. Five different players that we believe are going to have a breakout season. And I understand that breakout is a very subjective term. So Jake, if, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you go ahead and elaborate by, you know, what, what do we mean by breakout? What is a breakout? Right. So when you, like you said, it's, it's a, you do a great job of contextualizing all these things, Evan. So I appreciate that, but you know, to, to provide some more to it, it's, it's someone that's going to provide greater value than what's anticipated for them. So right now, you know, it's, it's off season. Um, values are kind of all over the place uh, a bit. Um, you know, things are going to happen. Free agency, um, rookie picks obviously is a big one. Um, potentially even trades and, and things can shift in the land, sh- the land, the landscape can be completely different, you know, two weeks from now. However, that said, there, there's an understood value in where these players land today. We'll try and frame that up for you to understand that current value um, and really say, hey, the expectations is these guys are going to be ahead of that for you, given given these sets of, uh, you know, variables or circumstances that we see. And, and putting that all together for you to hopefully get in on these people in terms of, you know, best ball drafts, things that we're doing right now, uh, get in early on that value, uh, start trading for them before that perceived value in the market shifts, um, you know, or, or whatever else can happen. So we just want to help you be ahead of the curve, really. Yeah, I love it. And I think there's a lot of different aspects that play into what might cause these players to have a breakout season, whether that's just we believe they are getting better and will continue to improve, whether we believe that they underperformed relative to what they should have done last season, or if we just think they're going to get more opportunity, kind of depends on a player-by-player basis, and that's why it's really cool that that we have such a wide variety of players that we've selected here, because there are just so many things that go into what can cause a player to perform greater than expectations. So uh, without further ado, which seems to be the, the line I go to all the time whenever I'm transitioning <laughs> into these things, without further ado... What is a do? Jake, what is a do? I don't know. Is that I, a Shakespearean thing? I just, I know there's much ado about nothing. I think that's a Shakespeare play. I think I made yeah, an talk appropriate about reference there. lingo. Oh my goodness. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. You, you, maybe, you know, you spent all your time figuring out all these other lingos between old people and young people. And, and you really should have been working on your segue game. Cause if you're just going to keep mm. falling back on the same one, Evan, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I think I need to get some <laughs> practice reps in there. Let's go ahead and jump right into your. Do we want to start off with your first guy or my first guy? How do we want to do this? We want to start off with my first guy because oh, I see how it is. That's just All what right. I want. So, <laughs> all right, let's hear it. Uh, let's yeah. hear your first guy. Let's jump into it. So for me, number one, Aziz Ojolari, New York Giants edge rusher. Um, for me, this is someone that uh, you know, taking a quick peek just to the, to set the landscape a bit. Uh, 22 overall in terms of defensive linemen in the current best ball draft that we're doing with some some people who are pretty uh, pretty strong in their IDP knowledge. So I feel pretty confident to say, hey, uh, a low end DL2 in terms of you know a standard 12 team league, uh, and when you're looking at those tiers of 12 per, is is kind of where he's sitting at now. Overall, what he did last year 
not great in terms of that that final finish, right? So a lot of times, especially in the offseason, people get kind of caught up. Oh, he was he was DL 37 or he was wide receiver 18. Um, and I don't think that his body of work from the 2022 season gives that picture very well. And so the nice thing is, is taking a look at when he really was getting that full opportunity, which sadly was a small sample size. So it was only four weeks fully, uh, weeks 13 through 16. But this is where he was seen, you know, at least, uh, you know, 40 plus snaps in, in most of those games. Week 16 was a little bit lower at 22 snaps. But he still was able to take that and convert that into 16 pressures on only 102 pass rush snaps, which uh, in that small sample size was a 15.7% pressure rate. Now, that is on the outlier side. That's not something that we expect to consistently see. But the fact that he was able to produce at that high level consistently over a four-week period, I think shows us exactly what his ceiling can be. And then when you take a, a greater look at his body of work for the rest of the year, including some playoff snaps as well as earlier in the year, weeks three and four, when he was getting uh, about 30 snaps a game. So getting into the rotation and utilized more heavily, you know, that number came down to 12.9% pass rush pressure rate, which is still above league average. And I think kind of shows what that stabilized expectation for him looks like. Um, And again, we know that pressures don't score us points, but what pressures do tell us is that this guy is consistently in the position to score us points, um, especially in more in leagues where you know you have uh, solid scoring for your sacks. You know, you're four or five, six points a sack plus your tackle, your tackle for loss, your quarterback hit, and everything that can stack on top of that. Um, so all told, he just looks like someone who can do it. He just hasn't had the chance to stay healthy this last year, and then his rookie year before that to really put it all together. I think a full off season, along with the fact that that front four looks unbelievable coming in the next year. Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, and now uh, Aziz Oshalari, healthy with all that. We saw what the Eagles did um, from an NFL standpoint as well as fantasy when you have that kind of talent up front. We saw the same thing from the Washington Commanders. To me, Oshalari is someone I'm looking at as a worst-case low-end DL1 um, or high-end DL2, right? So in that 10 to 15 range overall um, is what I'm seeing for him. And I think that that's something that can be sustainable as well in terms of that dynasty value too. So Aziz Ojolari, what do you got for me, Evan? I'm kind of upset that you talked about, you know, Philadelphia and Washington, because that was exactly what was going through my head is, is getting these players on these defensive lines that are just loaded with talent uh, because those two teams had such a high overall team, pressure rate and pressure to sack conversion rate, everybody on that defensive line eight. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode that we did together. I believe that was our defensive line breakdown. We were talking about a lot of commanders and a lot of Eagles. It's actually interesting. I'm kind of reflecting on this as I'm looking back at some of these best ball drafts that we've been doing. One of the strategies that I'm kind of curious about going into this season that I'm hoping to to test out and see how successful it is is stacking defensive linemen from teams that I believe will have a very strong overall defensive line. Now, perhaps maybe the hard part there is being correct, but I mean, that is always the case. I think probably going into last season, a lot of people would have guessed that the commanders and the Eagles would have had a good defensive line. So hopefully that's not too much of a surprise, but if you're able to guess successfully in a best ball league where you don't have to, you know, pick and choose your starts, 
Right. It seems like there's a good chance that on a week by week basis, somebody's going to eat. And if you have a portion of that defensive line, then perhaps maybe you'll be more successful. But all that being said, I, I'm a big fan of Ojolari. I think he's a talented guy. I think he struggled a lot with injuries this past season too. So if yep. you find a manager that just goes back and looks at his game logs, they might see a lot of zeros in there and a lot of partially played games and just think, hmm, he's really inconsistent. He's really injury prone. And he's just, you know, he's not going to be a mainstay in my starting, uh, in my, you know, starting roster rotation. I really don't believe in injury proneness with the exception of a few specific injuries. But in his instance, mm -hmm. I, I don't think he has any more of a likelihood to get injured next season than any other player does. And so if you're able to buy him low or even just buy him at cost right now, I think that could be a very good investment because as far as IDP goes, especially in dynasty, those defensive linemen are the players that I like to invest in the most kind of like wide receivers on offense. I believe they hold their value yep. for the longest and I believe they're the most consistently valuable. What would you say to that? Oh, absolutely. You're spot on, especially that year to year uh, translation of value. Um, you see you, the, the assets are so much more fluid, right? You know, they, for you to be able to start them week to week, as well as for you to be able to move them um, in pieces to try and complete trades or whatever else it is that you might be um, wanting to do with your roster. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm always looking at trying to maximize the value on defensive line and wide receivers. And again, this is one where I, I'm in on Ojolari. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to buy as many shares as I can. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just talk about my first defensive lineman here, since that seems to be what we're talking about. And my guy, I think, uh, I think you'll notice that, that this tends to be a trend later on. I won't, I won't spill too much, but, but, uh, Arnold Ebicati, the edge for the Atlanta Falcons. Now going into last season, he was drafted as the DL 69 on average in 2022 best ball drafts. In the one draft that we have finished so far this season, uh, he went in the 12th round, and this is in a sleeper draft that has only IDPs. So he's going around guys like Preston Smith and Justin Houston, Leonard Williams, Randy Gregory, you know, after them, just a little bit before Danico Autry and Chandler Jones and Damone Clark. So, I mean, you tell me, do those guys all sound like they have a lot of upside I, I, you know, I may or may not like Preston Smith, for example, but I, I think Arnold Ebicati's situation is bound to improve in a way that should vault him up value-wise. Now, he didn't have an incredible rookie season. He finished the year with a 64.5 overall PFF grade, um, but that was the best for any edge rusher on the entire roster. So while that's not saying much, that entire defensive line was pretty bad. Um, the only really other bright spot was a Grady Jarrett, who has always been a very reliable defensive tackle. Um, now, where the Falcons are in the draft, I think there's a very good chance that they add an edge rusher or at least a defensive lineman in the first round. Now, I'm not going to put all my chips on the table for that, but I do believe that there's a chance they improve on the defensive line, considering that is one of their greatest areas of weakness. And if their defensive line improves a little bit, I would imagine Ebiketti approves along with it, kind of like what we were talking about as far as overall defensive line pressure rate. It's just hard to be worse than what they did last season. Now, Ebiketti had the uh, he had the second or third most snaps on the in you know in the edge group, but he had the second most pressures and barely behind 
Lorenzo Carter, who played about twice as many snaps as he did. And so he had a pressure rate of about nine ish percent, which isn't mind boggling by any means, but I would expect that pressure rate to improve just as he continues to get more experience in the league. And so while I don't expect him to be quite as high of a producer as Aziz Ojolari, somebody who I expect to be very good on a defensive line that I expect to be very good. I do expect him to be better this upcoming season and at a rate greater than probably what a lot of people expect. So that's why I've got him called out here. Jake, what do you think about that? I, I like Abiketti. He was a talent. I think that uh, he showed some real potential coming in uh, to the year, but just, yeah, I that defense as a whole left a lot to be desired. Um, so I, I, I like the call out because based purely on talent alone and what he's shown from year one in his first year here, he's going to get an opportunity next year. I don't think that they're going to invest that much in the draft that they'll find a way to squeeze him out unless they really nail something late in the late rounds. But at worst case, he should somehow be again, the number two in there, but just, you know, increase those numbers for the, or see those numbers increase by volume alone. um, And which would make him very viable, especially comparable to the some of the names you were throwing out there in terms of best ball draft i mean i think i think you said leonard williams in there that's the only other person where i was like i could see myself maybe starting them so uh yeah yeah i think that that, that's a great call out and a great value especially at that spot i will also add the only other guy on the defensive line that saw a significant amount of snaps was lorenzo carter and Lorenzo Carter is an unrestricted free agent. So they are going to have a need. There's a vacancy for, you know, 900 something snaps that somebody has to fill. Now, will it be a first round edge rusher? Maybe. I think there's a very real chance that that is it. But I also believe that with improvement, Arnold Epicati will also increase in his opportunity to have some volume as well. Um, let's go ahead and transition now into your, your second defensive lineman. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about him? All right. Well, we went from you know some young guys uh, taking some steps forward to uh, one of the one of the vets out there, and, and Leonard Floyd. So, Los Angeles Rams edge rusher uh, Leonard Floyd for me, he uh, he really stepped up in a big way, especially after the absence of Aaron Donald. So, a bit of the uh, the inverse here. Um, you know, we you had someone who was potentially thriving due to some of the other talent around the uh, the line there, but you look at what he did from you know just the second half of the season from weeks 10 on. So 10 through 17, he was the fifth most total pressures in the NFL with 34. So he was in a situation where working with lesser talent around him, but he still found a way to, to deliver in that space uh, that, that equated into a, a 13.7% pass rush pressure rate, which for some additional context, I don't know if I've ever shared the number, right? When you look at the NFL as a whole, in terms of the amount of snaps taken from defensive line play in uh, the actual number of pressures generated entirely, it's about a 5% pressure rate. So one out of every 20 snaps, if you were to average, you know, all the, all the rotational players that only see a few snaps to, to the Max Crosby's and the Nick Bosa's and, and their generation of pressures at insane rates. So when you, when you take that and say, okay, well, this guy uh, in this peak time for him was tripling the average almost in terms of that pressure rate, like the guy was doing something, right? So um, Aaron Donald is seemingly returning. Um, you know, that seems to be kind of the the trend here the last couple of seasons. Is he retiring? Is he not? Is he doing knife training videos in the off season? All the big questions that people want to know about Aaron Donald uh, being, being posited at this time. But it seems like he's coming back. Um, 
and and I don't see the Rams moving on from him either at this point. They do have a bit of a you know concerning roster makeup at this time in terms of salary cap and uh, lack of draft capital and things like that. Um, so all things considered, you know, with him being a 19 million dead cap right now, he's pretty much locked in for 2023 um, and a dead cap consideration of around 12 million for 24, but still 10 million in savings. So it might be possible they move on from him in the 2024 season. Uh, Leonard Floyd looks like for me at a minimum, a great option in those redraft style leagues or those, those one year leagues, but still has some potential in dynasty. He has, he has a two year window here where, you know, he might be able to do something. And all that to say, I think I apologize for to mention this in the beginning. He's going around 51st uh, defensive lineman or went as the 51st defensive lineman in our draft, our first best ball draft. So you're talking uh, low-end DL5 type value from a guy who was able to produce um, almost 10 points per game in big three scoring over the last or the second half of the season um, was getting significant snap volume. He was averaging almost 59 snaps per game, which from an edge position is delicious. In my opinion, I'd, <laughs> I'll take any player giving me that type of uh, base and then pairing that with that kind of production. Um, yeah, I, I'm all in for Floyd at that value. Um, he should be someone that could probably be a plug and play starter for sure as a DL three possibly even a DL2 type level, right? That top 25-ish range. So where do you land on Leonard Floyd? Yeah, I think the best part about all of that that you mentioned is the fact that he doesn't cost as much as what his floor or upside seems to be. I mean, just looking at that first best ball draft again that we that we mentioned before, I mean, he's going after guys like Yannick Ngakwe. He's going after guys like Ed Oliver, David Ojabo, Juwan Bentley. You know, right before Baron Browning, Ogbania Okoronkwo, absolutely crushed that name, by the way. Um, you did. I mean, you, you tell me, did. all these guys, all these guys on here versus Leonard Floyd, you know, some of them are upside plays, some of them are right. floor plays, but Leonard Floyd seems to be a good mix of both, right? He's a vet. We've seen solid production from him before. He seems to be on a defensive line where he's going to be a mainstay, and I don't think he's going anywhere. I think the Rams have other areas where they really need to address I doubt he's, you know, getting cut by any means. This just seems like a really solid, really solid pick. Perhaps somebody who's being underrated uh, by a lot. And I mean, a breakout, like we said, it has a lot of different definitions. It can be kind of subjective depending on how we want to define it, whether that's we believe that they're going to be better than their ADP. We believe that they're going to produce better than they did the year before. I think for Leonard Floyd, uh, his quote unquote breakout is just going to be the guy that you're going to look at the game log at the end of the year and be like, Huh, Leonard Floyd. He had a pretty good year. I I didn't even really notice that, and I don't think that that's a knock on him. Um, but if you look at you know the end of season ranks this past season, there's a couple guys that showed up on there that you're like, huh, I didn't realize they had that good of a year. But now that I'm looking back, I'm just realizing they they've been consistently productive all season long. And I think Leonard Floyd can absolutely be that guy. Oh, I love it. Well, that's some great thoughts. What do you have else rolling around inside the head for your next guy? Yeah, so let's go ahead and transition into the linebacker position. And this one is not by any means a deep cut. Anybody who knows anything about IDP is probably onto this guy already, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention him on a breakout show because he seems to be synonymous with potential breakout in IDP circles, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles linebacker, Nicobe Dean. Straight and simple. He was extremely, extremely hyped going into the draft this past season. 
possibly one of the top two linebackers in, you know, pre-draft rankings. Now he wasn't drafted as that because of some injury concerns, but it's a year. He's healthy now. And the two guys that took snaps above him are both unrestricted free agents in TJ Edwards and Kaiser White. Now I don't expect the team to sign both players and they seem to be ready to have Nicobe Dean step in to a starting role. And he actually graded pretty well too. Now he only played about 47 snaps on the course of the season because they didn't need him to play that much because they were doing so well. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But he was obviously a very hyped player coming into the season and He's still being drafted relatively low. Let's actually see on this draft board if I can pull it up where he was taken in our most recent best ball draft. Um, Dean, he was drafted about halfway through the seventh round. So just after guys like Pete Werner, Jermaine Pratt, Tremaine Edmonds, Willie Gay, just before guys like Jack Sanborn, Demario Davis, Levante David, Shaq Thompson, Bobby Okereke. So he seems like an upside play right? Somebody that we expect to have a lot of volume at the position, but low enough that people are still a little unsure. Now, this was also draft full of a bunch of sharks who are going to do what they do, which is be really smart and draft players where they ought to be drafted. Nicobe Dean might not necessarily be drafted as highly in other leagues full of people who aren't quite as up-to-date as you, O listener, are. <laughs> so it could be good to keep your eye on him and be ready to take him because he is about to elevate from somebody who scored you basically no viable points last season into a guy that very well could be a mainstay in your starting offense, or sorry, in your starting defense. I love it. No, I love it. The one thing I'd love to throw in there too is I forget if it was week 17, week 18, there was a point where he came in where he saw kind of the bulk of some of those snaps in, in a single game in terms of actual linebacker play, not special team snaps. But, uh, they gave him the green dot, you know, that's, and that's a strong indicator of someone who's going to be out on the field for um, most, if not all of the snaps as well, which is a, is a beautiful baseline to have when you can see that hundred percent snap count um, for your linebackers. That's just chef's kiss. I mean, that's. You'd love to see it. Hey, talking yep. about sophomore linebackers, why don't we go ahead and jump into your next guy? Ooh. Someone's been practicing their segues in between uh, in between takes here. I like it. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so we got <laughs> Christian Harris uh, from the Texans, uh, another linebacker, right? And this one, when you look at this one, it's going to kind of lean a little bit into the narrative, right? Because um, he was the 21st linebacker overall in our best ball draft, which probably is about the market value and probably where most people might see him. Uh, but I think... What's going to lead me to, or what leads me to a positive path for Christian Harris is the hire of D'Amico Ryans and, and what he did with that defense in San Francisco. Now, is that a, a byproduct of Shanahan being a really good coach and getting the most out of his coordinators? Because uh, we saw them be super successful under Robert Sala as well. But we did see Robert Sala turn the Jets around in two years from a, a mid to lower tier defense to one of the top ones this most recent year. Um, but I, I believe in Ryan's, right? And he's a, he's a leader of men that I think will take a focus on the talent and utilizing them correctly, whereas no knock against Lovey Smith because he's an actual NFL head coach and I have zero NFL head coaching experience, <laughs> except for that old Xbox NFL head coach game, which 
I was also probably pretty bad at that if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, but you know, Lovey Smith was definitely a coach from what I saw where he had a scheme and he tried to make the players fit into a scheme versus uh, Ryan's, I think is going to take the right approach in utilizing his players talent and making his scheme match what he has available there. Um, that said, the other thing, the, the Texans have so many holes to still fill on that roster. Um, from a, from a franchise perspective, I feel like they're moving in the right way. That's because as a Texans fan, so biased answer there. But with that said, I'm still also realistic that they, they got a lot to do and, and spending capital draft capital or, you know, limited, uh, you know, a salary cap on the linebacker position which generally doesn't tend to see a lot of action in the free agency um, and highly touted draft capital either. So there's some, but not a lot. I think that they roll with what they got and try to figure out, you know, can they utilize that? And and Christian Harris is someone that's going to be a very strong LB2 um, with the upside of this defense could be seeing a lot of snaps again, uh, just like they did this last year. And I think that's going to lead to a bit of inflated production for 2023. So... I like Harris. Get in on him this year, um, and possibly maybe it could be a nice piece to swing at the end of the year. Uh, as I don't know that he's going to have the stable production long term, especially when you look at things like his PFF metrics. Um, he he had a lot to clean up there, but again, buy him for this year. Get the volume, get the production, a little bit of inflation. I think he's a good flip then at the end of the year as well. So my my and, outlook and on honestly, Harris, yeah. It'll be hard for him to do worse than he did last year with the volume <laughs> that he got. And, and I don't yes. mean that, you know, as, a, as an anti to your take, but, you know, he missed so many tackles. I mean, obviously he's a rookie, rookie linebackers struggle. Uh, but as soon yep. as he came back from injury, I mean, dude, he freaking, he drop kicked Kamu Grisha Hill right out the back door of the Texans facility. And, uh, yep. and, and he took over that starting role and he played so many snaps and now he wasn't the most productive guy whether that be because he wasn't making solo tackles or because he was missing them outright. Um, but but surely he gets better this next season, and I don't expect him to lose any playing time, especially not to a you know a Christian, a Christian Kirksey. And uh, right. it's interesting, right, because we're looking at this draft. I'm the one that drafted Christian Kirksey, and I, I got a little bit of crap on for, <laughs> for drafting him as highly as I did. Christian Harris, I think, was also somebody mentioned as drafted a little too highly, perhaps, in that first best ball. But I at least understand why he was drafted where he was, because looking at a lot of the linebackers that went after him, I mean, there's some realistic question marks with them as well. And the Christian Harris upside is is very real just because he's in a defensive scheme that should be productive for linebackers. I know Macri, our one and only PFF Macri, has talked a lot Mm -hmm. about zone call rate. And now granted, this is going to be a new defense than the one they ran last year. If it's anything like what the 49ers have done, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, hopefully I, I hear from Macri at some point later on, but I believe it's also a system that's also relatively good for linebackers. So I should check up on that. I should have that number pulled up in front of me. But in any case, the 49ers have been shown to be a very good system for linebackers because they run two linebackers at a very high rate. So do you happen to know if the Texans have fired their defensive coordinator yet? Being a Texans fan, I figure you might know. I do. It's uh, I want to say it's Matt Burke, um, which I have not had a chance to dig into his history uh, much this off season yet. So, but speaking of that, though, check out our boy Dynasty Trip on uh, mm. on Twitter. I believe he's putting together some stuff around coaching profiles and schemes too this off season. So, 
uh, think at football guys maybe by you guys Evan possibly question mark I believe so I believe so I'm looking at Google right now um, unclear whether who will call plays whether it's D'Amico Ryans or Burke uh, but Burke spent the 2022 season as the Arizona Cardinals defensive line coach. Okay, interesting. Yes. So in any case, two teams that tend to run two linebackers more than any, any other team. So yep. sorry, I got to get a little <laughs> off, off track there, but exciting. Sorry, good, Christian good, Harris. Good stuff to get excited about, though. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, you got to talk who, about something because he, he didn't play too great last season. So I got to get hyped about something. But Right. Well, speaking of getting hyped, are we getting... Are we getting hyped about this next guy? Yeah, man. I don't want to get hyped too early, but I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, having a breakout show in, in freaking February. My next guy <laughs> is another rookie, another rookie linebacker at that Brian Osamoa of the Minnesota Vikings. Now, here's the reason why I talk about the timing of this, because there are two linebackers currently under contract for the Minnesota Vikings that played over Brian Osamoa in the 2022 season, right? Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks. Both of those players are still on the team. But for those of you that have been paying attention, there have been quite a few rumors that Eric Kendricks is going to be cut. Now, I don't know exactly how soon that's going to happen, but your time is ticking as we speak. So as far as buying Osamoa, you probably want to do that sooner rather than later if you're able to. Now, again, smarter managers are probably already plugged in and understand what kind of value Asamoah possesses, but he was a third round pick last season and hit a 78.8 overall defensive grade for the Vikings, which is actually the highest grade out of anybody in their linebacker core. Now he only played 121 snaps to Eric Kendrick's 1,166 and Jordan Hicks 991, but that's a lot of available snaps should Jordan Hicks, sorry, not Jordan Hicks, should Eric Kendricks be on his way out? And that's one of the reasons why I think he can be an actually good buy low breakout candidate, not just breakout candidate, but a buy low breakout candidate, because a lot of these breakout candidates, kind of like Nicobe Dean, for example, there's a general relative consensus level of what this player's value is and what the range of outcomes could be. But for a lot of managers who have Brian Osamoa, they're probably like, well, he's still sitting behind Eric Kendricks. He's still sitting behind Jordan Hicks. He didn't do too much for me last season. So, I mean, I guess I could part ways with him for a fourth or a fifth round pick. But if you're a sharp manager, you might be able to grab him before the Eric Kendricks cut even happens and benefit immensely. What do you think about that, Jake? Yeah, I, th I think that's great. I I do like Asamoa too. When he got some snaps out in the field late in the season, I I don't remember what it was, but there was there was a couple of games where he played some significant snaps, not significant like twenty or something. But uh, yeah, he, he did look really good out there, just moving sideline to sideline and, and making plays. Uh, you know, looking at his contract situation specifically, Eric Kendricks. That is, uh, there's no real timeline to the benefit, right? Like there's like the pre June first cuts or trade type type approach to things can affect, you know, the value of the contract and, and what it does. Um, the savings is is nine and a half million, whether they do it today or whether they do it, you know, right before the start of the league year or not the league year, but the actual NFL season. So um, I would say you're probably looking at a pretty short window to try and uh, capitalize on the Kendrick still on roster thing. Cause I'm guessing this is just all 
speculation and prognostication by myself here that uh, it's going to happen before uh, free agency, right? Because they're going to have that money freed up so that they can start making the moves they need to in, in, in that regard. Um, so I would get on this sooner rather than later uh, is basically the the point I'm trying to make here. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't look at Jordan Hicks either. He was another one who I just, the guy who always seems to find his way onto the field and, and make, make plays from an IDP standpoint, but uh, yeah, he's, he's good to be cut either now, basically now or at any point down the line. So um, either one of them could be gone and that's all it's going to take for Osamoa to step up and have a big year, I think. Absolutely. Man, we have just been talking about a bunch of sophomore linebackers and we're going to continue to for our next two players as well <laughs> as you talk about your next guy. Absolutely. And and maybe we should have renamed the episode sophomore linebackers or, or something to that effect. <laughs> but regardless, thematically, we'll stick with it. And uh, and I'm looking at Micah McFadden here, linebacker for the New York Giants. So uh, 164th overall or the 61st overall linebacker um, in our first best ball draft here on the IDP show side of things. I mean... You're you're basically looking at you know we, we talked about this range before you're you're looking at some kind of some throwaway positions uh or you know dart throw type I shouldn't say throwaway but dart throw type players at this rate anyways um why not go with someone who's coming from probably the most ambiguous linebacker room maybe other than the Patriots because no one ever knows who's going to start coming out of a Patriots room from week to week uh, but but for all of the all the regular uh, linebacking rooms in the NFL. This has got to be one of the most ambiguous. Uh, McFadden, Darian Beavers, another uh, sophomore linebacker this year. Tay Crowder, uh, PFF dumpster specialist. Um, <laughs> Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, two guys that I'm not even relatively familiar with. Uh, it, it, it's a to me that, that's a wide open field. Now I know they had Jalen Smith and he came in and he, and he did a, a, some nice things for him at the end of the year for for a guy or a vet who has proven success at the NFL level before. But they got. They got their quarterback contract coming up uh, with Daniel Jones, and talks are that that number keeps creeping up higher and higher. Uh, do they want to try to bring back, you know, uh, Saquon Barkley? So, are they really going to invest high dollars again into uh, a linebacker position where they operated with uh, with pretty low efficiency or, or value there most of the year, and that defense still found a way to be relatively, you know, middle of the pack? So, I I, I just can't see them all of a sudden making a large investment in that space. Um, but the thing that I love about Micah McFadden in, in his given situation, I think that'll allow him to step ahead of the rest of the guys in that linebacking room is is the one area he did find consistent success uh, this year, and especially in his time uh, in Indiana uh, in his senior season, was his pass rushing upside. Um, he had pressure rate of a pass rush pressure rate of almost 26% his senior year at Indiana um, with a 92 PFF pass rush grade as well. Um, now I know Indiana's not necessarily a big time program, but it's at least in the Big Ten playing against some of those other uh, big schools. And now you're pairing that with a coach uh, in Don Wink Martindale, who uh, definitely loves to uh, to blitz higher than the league average. So now you're taking a linebacker who has pass rushing chops. Hopefully he's able to step his way into a lead role in that room. And now you're talking about a. a, a coordinator who wants to utilize his linebackers in different uh, pass rush schemes or looks i I, th- I think we got a, a makeup for a linebacker who can be who can be very valuable come the 2023 season here for us especially way above a linebacker five type value 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, it's not going to be hard to be worse than Tay Crowder or Jalen Smith, given the volume that they got. Ch- uh, Tay Crowder is actually not even on the team in the mo- anymore. Neither is Jalen Smith. So it really is just McFadden, Beavers, and then he, like you know, said Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, just a bunch of I would say probably special teamers. What else is interesting is actually looking at Micah McFadden. He went after a bunch of impending free agent linebackers like Miles Jack, Nick Murrow, uh, you know, right around Monty Rice, Quincy Williams, Denzel Perryman. Like, do you want to gamble on guys that have questionable talent landing on teams where they actually get good volume? Or do you want to bet on a guy that, might also have questionable talent, but at least we we haven't seen enough from him to know that he's probably bad. Like, you know, somebody like a Miles Jack or a Quincy Williams, for example, on right. a team where he already has an opportunity and he just needs someone to come in and take it from him. Right. I would rather gamble on the young player with upside already on a team that needs somebody to take his opportunity away from him than an older guy that we've already seen try to land on a team and actually, you know, get a starting job. And so that's why I really like Micah McFadden and also kind of by proxy, like you mentioned, Darian Beavers, who, if I remember correctly, he basically missed his entire rookie season. Let me actually check on this right now since I have it pulled up. He, yeah, he didn't play a single snap his rookie year. I believe he was injured coming into the draft. And so they just drafted him as somebody that they were going to stash. Is that the case? I do believe so. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was hurt pretty early on in, in, in the offseason. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Beavers is another one that definitely, right? I mean, so call your shot, um, or you can take the Evan Ronda approach and just grab them both, <laughs> and then, you know, hey, hedging bets, right? I mean, that's that's a, a thing in the betting world pretty commonly nowadays with things. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I will I, say, I, really since, like, you, since you bring it up, the, the Evan yeah. Ronda approach. So last season, so what Jake's referring to is in a lot of the best ball drafts, I would – double or triple up on linebackers that played on the same team as long as they were playing on teams that had a lot of linebacker volumes like the 49ers and the Texans are great examples I took Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair or I took Christian Kirksey and Kamu Grugier Hill and Christian Harris I will say not a great strategy it had its ups and downs but ultimately at the end of the day you kind of limit your upside and what I noticed with these best ball leagues at least and that's kind of where it might change for redraft leagues is you start running out of healthy players real quick. I was kind of getting to the point where we were at the end of the season and I didn't even have enough healthy players or rostered players for that matter to start an entire full starting lineup. Cause if I have Kamu Grusher Hill, who's now a special teamer for the Cardinals and Aziz Al-Shair, who's playing like two snaps a game for the 49ers and a bunch of other guys who are already long shots, like Eric Harris from the Falcons, who, who is he <laughs> exactly? Right. I'm running out of players that are playing any snaps at all. So I think kind of what I'm looking at for this season, sorry to cut you off and kind of take this down a bunny trail, but players who have safe, secure roles, even if it's a limited role over a player who has the upside of a full-time role or the downside of nothing, pick and choose which players you want. I think it's good to have both and getting a good Mm -hmm. balance especially in a best ball league where you don't get the opportunity to manage it. Um, but I think maybe in a redraft league, if Beavers and McFadden are both super cheap, this might be actually a better opportunity to to hedge your bets and get both of them because both of them are cheap. And if one of the guys ends up just losing his job and not playing, you can just drop him and add somebody else. 
versus in a best ball league, you only had so many draft picks. You had to pick a guy and now you've got him on your team for the entirety of the season and he's going to consistently put up zeros for you. Right. And I mean, the nice thing is too, I mean, there's plenty of uh, teams that end up having, you know, two linebackers run out there consistently, even if, you know, it's not two full-time three down linebackers, right? That Beavers and McFadden could hypothetically both be valuable assets too then. And um, worst case, you know, well, worst case, neither hit, but I mean, in, in a realistic situation, there's probably the likeliness of at least likelihood of at least one of them coming out of that linebacker room um, and seeing, you know, significant snaps in the, in the 70 to 80 plus percent range for the season for him, barring obviously injuries. But I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fully in on those ambiguous backer linebacker rooms. I mean, and I feel like that was a big theme this last off season, especially in, in like the running back space, right? Like, Buy, mm-hmm. buy into that ambiguity a little bit. You know, that that's the best way you're going to maximize some of that value. You can absolutely miss, but if it was, you know, that easy, you guys probably wouldn't be listening to people like us to try and give you a little bit of help. So, <laughs> exactly. I love that you mentioned that amb- amb- ambiguity, ambiguousness, ambiguity. Um, you and I, I know, are both big fans of JJ Zacharyson and his podcast, The yes. Late Round Podcast. He did a big study this past season talking all about running backs, and I don't want to spoil it for you. Go check it out if you care. But basically talking about the fact that there is a lot of value and ambiguity, and if you can call your shot and call it correctly, or better yet, use predictive data to correctly call your shot at a higher rate than your opponents can, you're going to profit big time. You were talking about defenses that tend to use two linebackers at a high rate, And I think that is a great segue into the last linebacker that we're going to talk about on the show today, which is another sophomore. Once again, Terrell Bernard of the Buffalo Bills. Now, Terrell Bernard is in a situation a lot like Brian Osamoa, where he did not play a lot last season, but is in a situation where he's looking to play more this upcoming season. Now, The reason why I say that is because the guy starting over him, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, is an impending free agent. Tremaine, right? I always get the Edmonds brothers mixed up. And if I'm not looking at his name, I'm afraid I'm going to say like Terrell or something. Tremaine from from Buffalo. Terrell is in Pittsburgh. And I don't know where Trey ended up. I think they're all triplets too. They're triplets? Oh, my gosh. I know Trey yeah. was on the Steelers with his brother for a period of time as like a backup running yes. back, but he's probably out of the league at this point. Um, but anyways, um, Brian, or not Brian Osamoa, Terrell Bernard. Uh, he got one game where he really had the full-time workload, which was in week nine. And I believe that was actually the game that Josie Joel missed. Um, but in that game, he got a 73 PFF grade. He got four solo tackles, four assist tackles, at least according to PFF. And I understand they calculate tackles a little bit differently than, you know, the actual stat providers, but that's just what I'm reading off of. So, you know, roll with me there, but he got a lot of playing time and he graded out pretty well. Um, It's a, I mean, shoot, man, it's a really simple call. He was drafted relatively highly. He was a third round pick and he's set to get some more playing time, assuming that the bills do not resign Edmonds. And I don't expect them to, um, yeah, that's pretty simple, dude. I don't, I don't really need to get too much more into it. He's not being drafted super highly. He's getting drafted. Well, I don't know how accurate of an ADP this is because I'm the one that took him and I might've overdrafted him because I'm excited, <laughs> but I took him in the 11th round 
you know, uh, right before guys like Alex Singleton, the tackle efficiency king, and Ernest Jones, everyone's darling, right after guys like Chad Muma, right, the 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 sophomore linebacker for the Jags, and Malcolm Rodriguez, the guy that we're all really excited for from the Lions, who, by the way, another breakout opportunity. We didn't talk about him, but, you know, if, if Alex Anzalone's gone, look out for Rodriguez to see some more value. But anyways, Terrell Bernard, he's being drafted relatively late. He didn't play a lot last season. So I think if you can find a way to indicate that you would like to trade for him without, you know, tipping off your opponent that he's impending value. I think that's one of the hardest parts about buying low on players in general is just right. Mm -hmm. If I DM you and say, Hey man, I'm going to trade for Terrell Bernard. You're going to be like, why, why Why do you want, (laughs) why do you want Terrell Bernard? What do I not know about Terrell Bernard? So, I, hey, that's something me as a manager I'll need to work on moving forward a little bit too. I've done that too many times. But if you can like make a trade and just kind of throw Terrell Bernard in there, like, oh, shoot, like I guess we can just put that guy in there. I don't know. You as a manager, you can flex your own trade skills in these, you know, in these opportunities. But finding a way to add Terrell Bernard at his current value or even at his previous perceived value as the season was ending when he wasn't playing really any snaps and just taking a shot on him because I believe he is going to be the guy next season. I'll also add, sorry to, to continue to go on, but uh, Tyrell Dodson, I believe is his name. Tyrell Dodson? Yes. Yeah. So I got a huge mix-up on my podcast last season because I got Tyrell Dodson and Tyrell Bernard mixed up, and so I was doing a weekly preview talking about uh, you know, which linebacker was set to increase in value, and Dodson was the guy that played more when Edmonds missed time, I believe, and yep. Bernard was the guy that played more when Joel missed some time. And so one of the guys got injured and I misquoted whoever it was. Yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah. Sorry. Well, the lotto was out. Yeah. I always get. All right. I'm going to call you, you were talking about here. Singleton, right? So you're talking Singleton. You had that greasy hair on your mind and you're just like, yeah, I can't. I can't stop honest. thinking about it. Jake, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with the listeners. That's not the reason why. The, the reason why is because <laughs> they're just both white linebackers, dude. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> Josie Jewell and Matt Milano are both white guys. <laughs> That's all I got for you, dude. Uh, man, I, there's no recovery here. Oh, uh, well, is, hey, how is... about this? I'll I'll help you by saying we're all human, we're all fallible because they're not triplets. I don't know where I got that information. They're not, so I, I got that wrong myself. So we're just. I'm gonna be honest. I don't even think Matt Milano is white. He might be. He might be Hispanic. This is this is going downhill real quick. No, hey, let's change the topic is. real quick. So, so where I was so going with of, that. <laughs> I'm sorry, real quick, where I was going with that. So uh Tyrell Dodson, he's an impending free agent. So it's not like it's not like uh, Bernard needs to beat out Dodson for that starting role. He should have it by default unless it gets taken away from him. All right, go for it. Sorry, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, and the draft capital I think matches that, right? He was you know, Bernard mm-hmm. was one of those third round linebackers. You didn't really talk about it with McFadden, he was a fifth round, so maybe not as committed to him, you know, coming in. Uh, same with Beavers. I think he was six, maybe. Um, but like Asamoah, Christian Harris, you know, these are, again, third-round uh, draft capital-type linebackers where, you know, it's not obviously the extent of a Devin White who goes fifth overall, right, where he's got the the leash for miles in, in terms of poor PFF grades and uh, <laughs> Warren Sapp telling him he shouldn't even wear the captain badge anymore. Uh, but these guys with that kind of draft capital will definitely get a shot year too, especially when when the path is as clear as it is for a lot of these guys, right? And and, and Bernard and Anasamoa, um, and Christian Harris. So 
um, yeah, I think you nailed it right on on the head with most of that stuff. It, it's it's a very common theme among these sophomore linebackers, you know, and that's what a lot of these teams are doing. They're they're drafting for not just the immediate need now, but the need that they're about to have, and that's what we're seeing a lot in these linebacking rooms. And hopefully, not everyone realizes it, and you uh, you can capitalize on it here this off season. Talk about teams so. that drafted players before they were needed, and now are stepping into roles where they might be needed. Go ahead and tell us about your last player finally getting into the defensive back area that's right i know we don't we don't like to live in the defensive backfield in terms of some of that mm-hmm. uh, that value for breakouts especially year to year and trying to find it um but there is one that that really stood out to me um and that's trent mcduffie uh cornerback for the kansas city chiefs um now looking at him at, at the start of this year and, and and probably really the bulk of the year you know the first 13 14 ish weeks uh, McDuffie really didn't stand out from an IDP standpoint in any way. Um, you know, he had a, a couple of weeks with, with splash plays where, you know, if you had to stream a cornerback, maybe the matchup made sense and, and that worked out great. Um, but really when we talk about cornerbacks from Kansas city, it's, it's luxurious Sneed. That was, he was the big name. Um, he was a week to week darling. Uh, he was plug and play for pretty much the entirety of the season. He had huge splash weeks multiple times, you know, dropping 20 plus points. I think it was four or five times in big three IDP scoring. I mean, that's the guy you want in Kansas City, right? Well, what I found out and what I was kind of keyed on to buy again, Dynasty Trip. This is like the Dynasty Trip promo pod right now, apparently. <laughs> um, but he he called it out pretty early uh, when, when, when the switch started to happen. Um, all of a sudden, Trent McDuffie started playing in the slot role, which is where Legereus Sneed spent the vast majority of the season. And I kind of kept an eye on it. And this trend continued uh, through most of the or through the end of the season and most of the playoffs as well. I think there was one game where they switched back. It was against the Jaguars, and Christian Kirk lives in the, the slot for the Jags. So I don't know if that was a, a matchup specific thing. Um, I'm kind of making that assessment at, at this time. Uh, but otherwise, every other game in the playoffs, so <laughs> when things matter the most, uh, McDuffie was taking those snaps in the slot. He was the one getting those high-value alignment close to the ball, close to the line of scrimmage. And there's no you know coach speak or anything coming out that's saying, hey, McDuffie's our new slot corner moving forward. But taking all the snaps in the playoff at that position – makes me think that's where they want him to be. And uh, Sneed and Jalen Watson are the potential outside corners on rookie deals, still there for Kansas City next year. I think McDuffie might have found the home in the slot, and that's that's the value we want. Um, and that's what we need to go after, I think, right here. Uh, and then when you look at, just again, talked about the value, 224th overall IDP drafted. Actually, I think by... My my wonderful co-host here, who sniped me as I was planning on taking McDuffie coming back around in that uh, draft, but even then, even if uh, a genius like Evan was onto it uh, that early, 224th overall. I mean, that is a literal dart throw. Um, and if you're talking about a guy who can be a plug-and-play starter, just like Legere Sneed was, maybe not the same upside or ceiling because you know Sneed was a third-year guy at this point. Uh, even if he just delivers that floor. That's a massive value, especially if you are cornerback required leagues. But even outside of that, he he maintains, I think, a potential to be a weekly starter um, in a DB specific role too. When, when you got your cornerbacks and safeties required, so 
Evan, you love Trent McDuffie so much that you stole him from me. What are you thinking for this year? I will say I was I was about to call it another player. I'm looking at this draft board. You might be referring to another one, but it looks like actually our wonderful Bobo was the one who sniped him from you. But the player that you actually might be thinking of is a player I was about to bring up, which is Brian Cook. He's not my my final pick as far as you know breakouts, but he is a breakout for next season. I'll just throw a freebie in there for you for sticking <laughs> around to the end, simply because. Uh, Juan Thornhill is an impending free agent, so him and Justin Reed should theoretically be the two starting safeties. Uh, but but I do love that Trent McDuffie pick. He's a very exciting player. Was he a first round pick? Remind me. I I don't know off the dome. I I want to say yes. Um, I can validate that statement for us here before the end of the show. But uh, I do believe he yeah. was. Well, are you ready for this transition? Talking about defensive backs that were a first round pick. <laughs> my final player is Dax Hill, also known as Daxton Hill. Uh, he His name is different on different platforms. It could be D-A-X or it could be D-A-X-T-O-N. Look, you can figure it out. You're smart. Dax Hill, he's the safety for the Bengals. Now, those of you guys that were doing some pre-draft research before last season, I'm sure are very familiar with him because he was a very exciting player coming into the draft. But then he got drafted by the Bengals. And as we know, they had two safeties that played above him. And so it made it very difficult for him to actually get any playing time. And interestingly enough, the only week where he actually did get significant playing time was in week 15. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I'll have to pull Mike Hilton up too, but I believe Mike Hilton was out that week. And so Dax played slot corner for that game. He played 66 snaps and he played 55 of them. 55. If you know, you know. That's all I'm going to say. 55 snaps in the slot. <laughs> I know you know. Um, <laughs> but but man, he's a versatile player. That I know for sure. And so the reason I call him out here is a breakout. Number one, obviously, he had a lot of draft capital. Right, He was drafted in the first round. But Jesse Bates and Von Bell are both impending free agents. Now, one of them might get tagged. They might even sign a player but I don't think that they have enough money to retain both safeties. Nor do I really feel like they want to considering that they have Daxon Hill waiting in the wings along with a bunch of other defensive backs to really bolster that group. I mean, they have Chidobe Awuzie or Chidobe Awuzie, depending on pronunciation, who's coming off a, an ACL. I think they still have Mike Hilton under contract. I know Eli Apple is a free agent, uh, but Cam Taylor Britt really showed out for the second half of the season. And so maybe if they Chidobe. believe that they can roll with, Cam Taylor Britt and Cheeto Bay Wouzier as their outside guys and Mike Hilton as their slot. Maybe they believe Daxon Hill will be one of their safeties and they'll just tag the other and boom, they'll have their secondary. Uh, we'll see how it actually pans out, but I firmly believe that Daxon Hill is not being valued enough as he ought to be. Now, again, just with all these other players, if the person that has Daxon Hill is smart, they probably know what Dax is worth, but it can still be worth you know, testing the waters anyways, just in case, because, you know, at the end of the day, there is still some risk involved in the eyes of somebody who is, you know, rostering Dax Hill because they don't know for sure. But I'm here to tell you, I would put a lot of money on Dax Hill being a starter for the Bengals next season. And I think you should invest accordingly. I think that's great. And I think one of the the key things to keep in mind is I think you're right. They'll probably find a way to bring back one of Jesse Bates or Von Bell. Um, but depending on who they bring back, I think 
they have flexibility in that regard too because Hill has shown the ability to play kind of more towards the line of scrimmage in the slot or even somewhat in the box. Not not as well as Von Bell has in, in his time, but he's also shown the ability to play deep too um, in, his, in his college days. So they mm-hmm. the Bengals can really say, hey, what's the the right overall team dynamic for us to do this in terms of roster, salary cap, and what have you. Um, but really pay attention to which one they do keep because you know you could see Hill's value skyrocket even more if they say they want to keep Bates and they're like, yeah, Hill's the guy we're going to maybe push down into the box more or, or work in some of the, those more sweet spot alignments um, in the slot or um, along the defensive line. So um, just, just kind of an additional side note to see um, where that value truly could reach for Dax Hill this upcoming year. That would be exciting. And it because of the season of giving, you know, mid-February, that's what they say. I'll, I'll throw another freebie out there. Jermaine Pratt, impending free agent linebacker for the Bengals. He was a limited rotational guy, but he was the second guy behind Logan Wilson. Mm-hmm. Theoretically speaking, Akeem Davis Gaither is set to inherit his role. I, I'm not super confident that he's going to be the one. I think they either sign Pratt to another deal or they, you know, just add another player. But... Mm-hmm. In the off chance that they don't do either of those things, Akeem Davis-Gaither should see Jermaine Pratt levels of usage next season. And if you want to, you know, he's probably on waivers in most leagues, but, you know, if you want to take a shot on a guy and just see what happens in free agency, hey, go for it. There's another freebie for you. What do you think? (laughs) I I do love it a lot. Yeah, Gaither's uh, on his rookie contract still, it looks like. um, So he's good for 2023 here. The the biggest thing that I think the biggest variable in all of it is, is the Joe Burrow extension um, mm-hmm. with the way quarterbacks are paid um, nowadays, consuming, you know, 18 to 26% of, of the entirety of the salary cap. So a 53 man roster, 25% of it's gone by one player. Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that can happen or not happen in terms of talent being there or brought back or brought in. So um, having those pieces that are in the wings waiting to step up at a value for the team um, is key and, and really, really a big thing to pay attention to, as I think you've really brought to light here today. Well, awesome. I'm glad we were able to power through this in, in only an hour. I think that should be a new record for us. Now, I think we've only done about two or three episodes together. So listeners, don't get too comfortable with this short of a podcast. I'm sure we will have much more banter in the future. Um, but man, I'm hyped. We got to get through 10 players with a couple bonus ones, all players that we expect to be better next season. I think, uh, we should just run through them real quick. I'm just going to read off this list just so that people that listen to the end can have a quick refresher for all the guys we talked about. We've got four edge rushers. We've got Aziz Ojolari from the giants, Arnold Ebicati from the Falcons and Leonard Floyd from the Rams. We got a couple linebackers. We got Nicobe Dean from the Eagles, Christian Harris, from the Texans, Brian Osamoa from the Vikings, Micah McFadden from the Giants, and Terrell Bernard from the Bills, and then two defensive backs, one cornerback and one safety. So that corner is going to be Trent McDuffie from the Chiefs, and Daxon Hill is going to be the safety from the Bengals. Um, so if you listen to the end, thank you guys. We appreciate it so much. Um, Jake, what do you got coming up that we need to be hyped for? I know you got something. Why don't you go and spill the tea? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. Talked about it earlier. We got the crash course coming up. Um, that's the big one. So that's uh, February 28th. So not not too far away. We're just around the corner here, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, with the second session will be on March 7th, 8 p.m. Central, both days. 
you know, like I said, the, the Q and a is kind of the, the thing I'm really excited for to have those, those back and forth discussions in there, but it will be recorded. So even if you're checking this out for some reason, right at the start of the NFL season, wherever you're, you're way behind and just catching up, it's a resource that's evergreen. You can get it through the IDP show, um, subscription, um, a membership. So check that out, get into that. Uh, you know, other than that, um, mostly just working through some off season series with, uh, John Macri, I'll be I'll be popping in for his buy sell on the NFC side. I think uh, I think you have the AFC side, if I'm uh, calling that. Correctly. I do that. You do. Uh, you know, other than that, uh, just putting together some uh, articles throughout the season. Nothing that's set in stone yet, but uh, just keep your keep your ears to the ground, and you can check me out on Twitter at Jake Colagan. Um, always love talking ball there, and uh, I'll keep you up to date on anything I got coming out. What about awesome. yourself, Evan? Yeah, like you mentioned, I'll be coming on actually next week with John Macri. Can you believe it? I've been doing this for as long as I have, which feels like so long, but in reality, it's only been, you know, a season or two. But I haven't done a podcast uh, solo with John Macri yet. So I'm I'm really excited that we both uh, get a chance to hop on with one of the great minds in the IDP world. So that'll be really excited. I think I have the AFC buy sell. So I'm going to I'm going to be getting to break down some players there and uh and we'll see what we have coming on for the rest of the offseason. I'm sure there'll be some more things. We obviously have the NFL draft and some preparation that uh, that is associated with it. And in the meantime, I know you and I are both active enough on Twitter. Hey, you know, you give yourself a lot of uh, a lot of crap for being old and out of date with the young terms. But hey, you're on Twitter and you're active on Twitter. And that is a massive W. So congrats <laughs> there for, for being an active Twitter user. That's a, that's that's, you know, very helpful. And that's coming from someone in their twenties. So I mean, that that's a win right there. I'll take it. Um, oh heck I'll yeah! Hang it up in my fridge. My wife will be proud. <laughs> I'll send you a tweet. I'll at you, and I'll be like, "Hey, congrats <laughs> to at Jake Colhagen for being active on Twitter in your thirties. Big massive W. Straight Boolin. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Um, speaking of Twitter, uh, hey, you can find me on Twitter at IDP Evan if you want. Uh, I hopefully won't be as cringe. Um, I try not to flood your timeline with too much unnecessary information, but uh, I will be, I'll be doing some tweeting for whatever happens in free agency. Like for example, the Titans just cut Zach Cunningham today. And so if you have my tweet notifications turned on, or even if you just follow me, you'll know that because they cut Zach Cunningham and because they don't have Joe Schobert and because uh, David Long is a free agent. The only two linebackers on the roster that played any snaps last season are Monty Rice and Jack Gibbons. Now, I don't expect them to roll with just those two guys going into next season, but that's valuable information. And you can see that if you follow me on Twitter. So just throwing that out there as a self-promo. Jake, man, I think it's about time we we wrap this baby up and hold on to our championship one-hour podcast timer award uh any last thoughts you want to have before we close this thing up nope just appreciate you the listeners i appreciate you evan i appreciate the idp show for giving us this uh the space to do this i'm excited to keep working with you here and excited to keep talking to these fine folks out there in uh, idp land heck yeah listeners thank you guys for tuning in again if you have any questions don't hesitate to reach out to either of us or any of the other guys at the idp show we do truly love connecting with you um but until the next one, peace out.